Hello and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, hello. Today's episode is all about the camp gets some mail. So I wanted to ask you if you had any uh, fun mail stories to tell us. (laughs) Fun mail stories. Uh, Okay, so I was thinking about this and, you know, I think we're in a generation where like letter writing wasn't really a thing anymore. Like I had a pen pal in like the second grade, but that was all done through the school. It was like a school to school thing. It wasn't through the mail. So that was cute. But also I remember being a kid and in my town we did like the Santa mailbox. And even though I'm Jewish, I still celebrated Christmas for like the good kids, you know? (laughs) So we did the Santa mailbox where you would mail your list to Santa. And because the part of our town where I live is so small and so local, um, the women who worked in the post office would hand write cards back to the kids of like, oh, you, I know that you were so good this year. And or, or like from the elves and Santa would be like, they would write like, oh, Santa's going to bring you whatever. And it was just like the cutest thing. It like made the magic of Christmas so real when you were a kid. It was so, so cute. <laughs> That is adorable. I love that. We didn't do anything like that. Um, I'm I'm so jealous, honestly. That would have made my entire like <laughs> lifetime as a child. But I gotta say, the pen pal thing, I've always seen pen pals in like movies and TV shows like this episode. And I've always thought it was so creepy. I was like, You're gonna send <laughs> some rando your your mail and they're gonna ask you to write it back. It could be anybody. It could be like a forty five year old man. Uh that's that weirds me out. Uh, yeah no with our pen pals it was like all done through the school so like nobody had each other's addresses or anything like that it was very much like a school to school thing and it was really cute it was a very cute thing but that's the only real like mail i could think of getting as a kid besides like stuff from my grandmother yeah of course on a similar level of me not getting any like real mail i didn't have any pen pals stuff like that uh i just remember as a kid growing up we had a lot of magazine subscriptions. I had a subscription to Nintendo Power because I was that kind of <laughs> nerdy kid. And in my household, we had a subscription to uh, Rolling Stone. And I was a giant like nerd. I didn't care about any of the actual music stuff. I cared about like the television and movie side of the magazine, which was like really good. They had a lot of like good information and stuff like that. And I distinctly remember, like, whenever I would get one, I would flip to, like, the back of it and just read the movie reviews. And it was the first time that I got, like, acquainted with a film critic. I was like, ah, Peter Travers. What, what's he into? What is he like? What is he dislike? Uh, so that was, that's kind of my mail experience of, like, just reading magazines from the mail. <laughs> that so tracks for you. Like, I would not expect anything different of just you flipping to <laughs> yeah, the back for movie reviews. <laughs> so it's so on brand for you. <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very cartoonish character. I have a, I have a very <laughs> specific trait. And reading movie reviews in the back of magazines is one of them. <laughs> okay. So in this episode, Mail Call. When Mel arrives at the 4077, it brings good news of stock options for Frank, homesickness for Trapper, a pen pal for Radar, and Henry's wife's checkbook. Vanessa, what did you think of this episode? So I love this episode because it doesn't feel necessarily like MASH, but still feels like MASH, if you know what I mean. It doesn't have a lot of like surgery or war or hospital, etc., mm-hmm. etc., but it's still 
is everybody in character so much and this feels more like a sitcom that you would see in the 80s rather than in this transitionary kind of 1970s commentary period if you know what i mean so i really liked it for just the straight sitcom aspect of it um i thought that the storylines were also really funny so this is definitely this is a great episode for me i kind of disagree with you this felt very mashed to me Maybe because everyone was so in character. This is an episode just about getting mail, and it's so entertaining because these characters are so strong and so, like, well-written that, like, seeing everybody react to the different things that they get in the mail is so engaging to me. And we've had a lot of these, like, segmented kind of episodes where there isn't, like, a central plot. It's just kind of bouncing around from character to character where this felt like very in line with stuff they've done earlier, but a more refined version of it where like previously we had like the Dear Dad narration and this kind of lacked it, but it still felt like, okay, let's just see what's happened around camp kind of vibe. I agree with you. I think that what I mean is like this feels more like a later season of MASH, more so than um, what we've seen so far in the first couple of seasons. But yeah, I think that I think that the main thing that we both agree on is that everybody did feel very in character. This felt like how everybody would react in general. And I liked that it had a more of a central plot than the Dear Dad storylines. Like you said, definitely more refined, which probably increased my enjoyment of this episode. So yeah. Let's get into it. So obviously the episode starts with the actual mail call where radars say like, hey, we have mail and everyone tears him apart like he's left (laughs) basically naked. Okay, Um, okay. So I love this because this is such a sitcom trope kind of thing where a mob rushes at somebody and then they disperse and the person's left basically naked or in their underwear. That's felt so like old sitcom to me i love <laughs> yes, that of course. it's a very classic gag um where it makes no sense like why would they take his clothes off <laughs> yeah seriously but you're like yep <laughs> pretty much great i i love this whole bit and then it kind of goes into the swamp with hawkeye and trapper and we have another mention of hawkeye's sister who oh my as God, far as yes. i'm aware doesn't exist later on am i right (laughs) so a listener wrote in to us and said that we should start a segment called continuity corner and this is our continuity corner segment for this episode because hawkeye does say that he has a sister his sister knitted him this sweater and then magically a couple seasons later he is an only child with no sister no mother nothing (laughs) so i think that that is very funny but i kind of liked this sweater though it was a nice color and i like big sweaters (laughs) i also thought it was uh, uh, super funny that Hawkeye was throwing shade at Trapper's daughter's baking. He, did you catch that? I did. <laughs> I did. Because uh, this becomes important because it kind of sets Trapper's whole plot in motion for this episode. But he gets like fresh baked cookies from his daughters and they clarify that like they didn't have anybody help them. And <laughs> Hawkeye is just like, oh man, I wish they did. Like what a little ingrate <laughs> he is. These little, like, six-year-olds or however old they're supposed to be, I'm not sure, bake cookies, and Hawkeye's like, yeah, could use more butter or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, yeah, not your best work, girls. (laughs) (laughs) But I did think it was uh, so sweet that Trapper really misses his family, and to me, this humanized Trapper so much because we don't get to see that very often because that's not, like, a central theme of Trapper's character, of him 
you know, missing his family and loving his family and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I thought that that was such a, a great addition in this episode. And you're right, it does kind of set off the plot for Trapper's storyline. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about it in full right now, but I really like where all this went for Trapper, how this like built throughout this episode and how you like really kind of felt for him of like, yeah, he wants to get home. He has young children and he hasn't seen them in like over a year and a half at the very least. I don't know. This kind of humanized Trapper in a way that uh, a lot of the episodes don't tend to. He's more of like Hawkeye's right hand man, but he's kind of his own man in this one. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I liked that it really kind of set him apart from Hawkeye in this way of like, yeah, Hawkeye, of course, misses his family too and wants to go home. But, you know, Trapper's got kids and he's missing Mm -hmm. his kids growing up. And I think that I know that we've talked in previous episodes about how Hawkeye and Trapper are kind of the same character um, and that there's not like too much of a distinction in their personalities. But I think that this is a nice reminder that they are two separate characters. And I agree with you. Uh, I liked where this all went of Trapper just getting really drunk and just missing his family in this Mm -hmm. really real way. Because there is such a big difference for Hawkeye who just like misses his dad, stuff like that. And Trapper who misses his children. Those are two very different kinds of I miss my family. I think it was really well done and kind of gave this episode like a proper emotional core as it went on and kind of got more goofy with the various things happening. Yeah, and I think that it's fine if we skip around a little bit, but at the end of the episode, Trapper is prepared to kind of go AWOL and he wants mm-hmm. to go home. He he got really drunk, as we said, um, and he is like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm missing my kids growing up. I'm done with this war. Like, that's it. And... Hawkeye basically has to like stand in in the way of Trapper just leaving to go home. And it was actually really interesting because I know that we haven't gotten to later seasons yet and you haven't seen a lot of the later seasons, but this almost exact thing happens with BJ's character later on. He's upset about the exact same things and basically the exact same scene plays out with BJ and Hawkeye um, in a little bit more of a dramatic way, but it was uh, it was pretty interesting to see those parallels between those characters because they're so different, but they have that common theme of like, loving their family you know what i mean despite everything yeah i am completely unfamiliar with bj i haven't seen a single episode with him but i thought it was really interesting because i know how trapper leaves the show is that he just leaves and he never says goodbye to hawkeye and this kind of gives context for that in a little bit of like in an unintentional way of like he just wants to get out if he has an opportunity to leave he will leave He's not sentimental about the war or anything. He was he was prepared to bounce. I mean, he was drunk, so maybe when he like sobered up, he would have come to his senses a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this did put in motivation for why he wouldn't stick around and say goodbye to Hawkeye when he does eventually leave. He's just like, well, I got things to do at home. Yeah, that's really interesting that you bring that up. I didn't even really connect those lines. Um, but yeah, th- you're definitely right there. I did think it was interesting when Trapper was prepared to leave and Hawkeye was like, dude, you can't go. And Trapper basically says, like, the war's not going anywhere. We're just going to get into another war right after this one. And it was so, like, I don't know, meta almost, where we got into Vietnam right after Korea. He wasn't even wrong. And it was just so, like, so sad (laughs) in -hmm. that way of, like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, these same people might have also been in Vietnam. So, great. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. 
Also, this is totally at the end, but I thought it was really funny how Hawkeye just says, like, oh, I don't want to use violence. And Trapper's like, but I will. And just <laughs> hits him with a sleeping bag and, like, knocks him on the floor. I looked down for a second. I looked at my phone to, like, write a note. And I fully thought Trapper, like, decked him in the face. <laughs> I had to rewind. Be like, oh, he just tapped him with a sleeping bag. Which is, but I fully thought he laid him out. <laughs> which is so funny because, like, you can tell that Wayne Rogers did not actually hit Alan Alda that hard with the sleeping bag, and Alan Alda, like, just really put it on. (laughs) He, like, fell, like, way off to the side of the swamp. It was very comical, because you could tell that that tap did not do that. (laughs) I love stuff. That is one of my favorite things in slapstick comedy. When a hit is not a hit, but the guy, like, dives 50 feet away from it. <laughs> okay. Let's let's get more back on linear track. Yes. So, after this initial scene with Trapper, Frank comes in and he's very happy about his stock options that he's like doing pretty well in whatever uh he invested in. And he's got a big head about it and uh Hawkeye is just like, "Oh, well, let's uh let's take him down a peg." Uh so he sets this whole plan into motion to kind of ruin Frank financially. And I thought that was kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, this was so funny because also continuity corner, Frank and his stocks, we have seen that Frank is a stock man before. Um he said that he made $2,000 on his stocks, like his stocks are doing really well, and that equates to $22,831 today. So he so is he's doing, doing well. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I thought that it was also really funny that Frank was kind of like riffing Hawkeye and Trapper, like making fun of them almost. He's like, oh, well, you see, I'm smart and I'm investing and I don't plan on being a surgeon forever. And I was so confused at this. I was like, why? Because I don't know if surgeons just didn't make a lot of money back in the 1950s, but I feel like today, like that's the number one way that you get Mm -hmm. rich is by becoming a surgeon. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel you. But I took it more as like, not that he doesn't make a lot of money, because he does clarify in a way early episode that he does have like a house with like two garages or whatever. Like he's yeah. doing fine. <laughs> but Frank is also just kind of a guy who is uh, a little bit lazy as much as he doesn't want to admit it. So I, <laughs> I can imagine that his bright future is just a future where he doesn't have to work. If he can like just make money off of stock options, he's like, well... I don't have to actually be, like, a good professional ever anymore. I could just, like, sit on the beach or make my wife make me food. <laughs> that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. That does make sense. Yeah, I, got, I, I, see, I see what you mean. Like, he does not want to be uh, working for his money. God forbid. I know. Becoming a surgeon and helping people? Huh, I, <laughs> you can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the scene also with Margaret. Um, first of all, where she, <laughs> Frank comes to her tent and tells her that he's doing well with his stocks. And right before the scene when he is knocking on her tent, she hurts herself with the tweezers, plucking her eyebrows. And I'm like, girl, we've all been there. That is too funny to me. <laughs> we've like pinched our skin on our eyebrows. Ugh, the worst. This is another one directed by Mr. Alan Alda. 
The things touches like that are like him being a feminist king, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> probably, probably. He probably took that like real life from his wife. I I love that. Um I thought it was so pathetic though that they were like, I don't know. She was like, Oh, Frank, you can like leave your wife because you're doing so well. Like you can afford a wife and an ex-wife. It's just like, girl, like stop groveling for this lipless wonder. It's so annoying. <laughs> Yeah, this was this. I don't think this has ever come up before that Margaret fully plans to be with Frank should he like actually divorce his. I know that she is like kind of all aboard the Frank train. But this is the first <laughs> time that there's like an actual like ultimatum about it. Like Frank, you could be with me forever, uh, stuff like that. Where in previous ones, like yeah, she would be upset about him mentioning his wife. But it always kind of felt more to me like a like a fling. I didn't see that like she thought there was like a future with Frank, but I guess in this one, she's like, well, if he's rich, might as well, right? <laughs> yeah. It was so I don't know, I hate their relationship so much. It was so annoying. It's just like, girl, you can do better, first of all. Like he's not gonna leave his wife for you. It's just ugh, just stop. Move on, Margaret. I know. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> I know. I thought it was really funny, though, how she was, like, trying to show off, like, her legs and her, like, pantyhose, and he was just, like, what, like, he didn't even acknowledge it. Yeah, and then I I know that we talked about this before, like, just off mic, but this episode was so, like, foot-focused with these two. It was so strange. She was like, oh, there is, I got these new shoes for you. And uh, there's other shoes. There's another pair that's just like this one, but they're clear and you can see what each toe is doing. It's just like, what's happening here? Like, when did the foot thing become a thing for them? This episode had such a prevalent foot thing. And I feel kind of weird talking about this. (laughs) But it wasn't just Frank and Margaret either. Henry gets a letter in the mail, like, talking about, like, a masseuse that'll, like, step on your back for massage. And, like, Radar is, like, into that. He's, like, (laughs) wants to be stepped on. I was very, uh, like, this is a very, like, foot-focused episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that, where, uh, Henry was like, yeah, she takes off her sandals and steps on your back with her bare feet. And Radar's like... With her bare feet. It's just like, what's happening here? And no shame to anyone who loves feet. No shame. We're not king shaming here. But or being stepped on. Let's just be honest. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You can be stepped on and still be valid. But <laughs> I'm just like, I was just surprised at how prevalent it was in this episode. Like, why so much feet in this episode? I don't know. Just, it's I, basically I, I don't the know. final joke of the show that that, Mar- that Frank is like, oh, I'll do anything to win you back, Margaret, after everything blows up. He's like, oh, I'll even kiss your feet. And Margaret's just like, oh, I'll see you in my tent at nine. Like, that is... <laughs> This episode was written by Larry Gelbart and uh, Lawrence Marks, I believe. One or two of them have something going on in this episode. They're just feeling some kind of way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like I said, no shame, no shame. It's all cool, but just very funny and very... very right there. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of um, everything blowing up, it's really funny because I feel like this is like kind of the main plot of the episode with Frank and his stocks, right? So Hawkeye and Trapper, they of course plan this prank on Frank. 
And they plant this letter that Hawkeye supposedly wrote to his dad about this new up and coming company called Pioneer Aviation and how it's gonna, he's buying so low and gonna sell so high because it's this like really great up and comer. And Frank immediately is like, oh, I have to get on this train. I have to get on this train. He wants to sell all of his stocks off and buy all the stocks for this Pioneer Aviation. And it was so funny, this one scene where he is trying to put this all in motion and he has Radar send a telegram off to his like people who sell and buy his stocks for him and his brokers. Yeah. Yeah. Brokers. That's it. (laughs) He just can't get the times correct. Like he cannot wrap his head around like time differences in Korea. I thought that was really funny. The whole time difference bit is so like Abed and Costello, like who's on first that it, yeah. it was such like a classical thing. And I was just like, oh yeah, this is set in a time period and created a time period long before you could just punch into Google time zone differences. Yeah. Because I'm always so confused about time zone differences <laughs> and having somebody try to explain that to me in era before I could like search it on my own. I would be as lost as Frank. I fully like felt for him in this one of like trying to understand how reality works with the sunrise <laughs> and sunset. Um, I really love this whole bit. And I have to give a shout out uh, in the previous scene before this when uh, Frank is reading the letter from Hawkeye's dad how he writes the letters on different sheets of paper. So Frank constantly had to like find the new ones. That kind of like physical gag is one of my favorite things. And then there's a shot of Hawkeye and Trapper like watching this happen and like laughing at him from another (laughs) room inside the swamp. And I had no idea that there was more than one room. I thought it was one tent. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't inside the swamp. It was uh, it was like in the mess hall or something. It was like overlooking oh. the swamp. They were okay. across the compound. Yeah. The way it was edited, it looked like they had like a whole other like back room that's just no, never been no, seen no. before. I really liked um, how in the scene where Frank grabs the letters, he just goes onto Hawkeye's bed and then just like lays there for a second as if trying to be inconspicuous. It's just like, it's a really good piece of physical comedy from Larry Linville and I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, definitely. Also, Frank is just an absolute idiot. Who invests literally all of their money into one stock? That's not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah, we know nothing about stocks, you and I, and even I think that we know that you're not supposed to put all your eggs in one basket. Like, you're supposed to diversify your stock portfolio. Yeah, it's just like, dude, what are you doing? But, like, here's the thing is that he's trying to do a get-rich-quick scheme, and it's not going to work. But he does think that he made, like, a million dollars. He thinks that he gets a million dollars. And I did look it up, and a million dollars back in 1951 would be $11 million today. So, you know, like, if you have the prospect of getting $11 million, like, I understand. But also, still, like, shut up, Frank. You're you're such an asshole. (laughs) I'm just saying... Even if you got a tip to invest in Apple stock back in 1970 or whatever, I don't know when Apple stock was like at its lowest uh, or like most investable. Don't put all your money in that. Like you got to have a little bit of a diverse portfolio just yeah. in case this the senator tip that Hawkeye makes up <laughs> ends up not going through. <laughs> And also, like, <laughs> so Hawkeye, of course, like, he made up this story about the senator, right? This letter to his dad. 
And like, isn't that insider trading? Like, I believe so. Yes, <laughs> I believe so. If a politician tells you about, hey, you should invest in this. I think that is highly illegal and you can't go to jail for it. <laughs> yeah, seems like not the best thing in the world. Um, so we there there's a lot going on in this episode with the stocks and whatnot. <laughs> and I love the the continuity of Hawkeye's dad, even if and it's it's a story that he makes up, having like friendships with these various politicians around yeah. like Maine or wherever he's supposed to be at this moment in time. <laughs> um so much to the point that it's believable that Hawkeye's dad could give him insider trading tips. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I think that that's really funny because we did see that in a previous episode. I don't remember mm-hmm. which episode, but we did see it. The, the senator that Hawkeye mentions previously, like got like taken to town for being corrupt. So it's all just like <laughs> one big mishmash of like politicians being weird around Hawkeye's dad. <laughs> that is funny. But like we said, it all blows up in the end. And when Trapper is uh, drinking really heavily and is about to leave the swamp, he tells Frank like, oh, it was all like a big ruse and stuff like that. So, of course, you know, Frank was never going to get a bunch of money. But I did think it was actually kind of nice that Hawkeye and Trapper had Radar in on it. So that Radar wouldn't send the telegram of Frank like selling all of his stocks. Because I feel like that would have just, like, ruined him financially. So I thought that it was kind of nice that they didn't entirely ruin Frank's life. They, they should have. But also, <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny how Frank had, like, no reaction to this. He was just like, oh, okay. And then in the yeah. episode kind of, like, ended, he wasn't, like, actually mad. <laughs> which was kind of weird, but, like, whatever. Um I, I kind of wish that Frank was like ruined financially, not going to lie. Going back to my Damn. last week, going back to last week of my hate fan fiction, I'm just saying <laughs> like the more punishment for Frank, I think the funnier it would have been. I understand. I get it. I, I do. So let's jump to some of the other like smaller storylines. So we mentioned at the top that Henry receives his wife's checkbook. And I just have to say that before he opened the box with like all of her checks and her account stuff, he was like, oh, I hope it's a cake. And so Trapper received cookies from his daughters and Henry was expecting a cake from his wife. And I, I'm sitting here like, did they have express mail and dry ice in the 1950s? Like, <laughs> were they able to get these things to them like that? I just don't really <laughs> think that that would have been a thing. <laughs> I know, I know, because uh, cakes and whatnot, you know, have eggs and whatnot, so they're perishable, yeah. and you probably shouldn't put those in the mail to another country, let alone, they'll probably be, like, wrecked during shipping, but whatever, the cake that Henry describes sounds amazing. I want that cake. It does, uh, it if does. If we could find, like, a fan page with the supposed recipe for this cake, <laughs> we should make it. Maybe for next week when we have our season finale. <laughs> Yeah, that'll make be us our, our 50th episode, by the way, I think, which <gasps> oh is kind of nuts. That's it's so crazy. this episode or next episode. That's so but, fun. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. But anyway, I, I thought Henry's wife sending him 
a portfolio of all her Czech stuff <laughs> was really like funny and also something we've he- like heard about before. That's that what Henry I was gonna say. Continuity to- corner. <laughs> Henry has to bow the checkbook for twenty thousand miles away. I felt so bad for the poor lad in this one. He uh he he can't catch a break. <laughs> Yeah, it was really funny because throughout the rest of the episode, too, he's like balancing his wife's checkbooks and he is just like, why did she spend this much money on a vet bill for the cat and all of this? All of this This is like really crazy stuff. It was just too good of just sending like as if Henry doesn't have enough to worry about being the commanding officer of a mash unit so close to the front lines in the Korean War that he also has to deal with his wife's checkbook is just too much it's so funny because you know Henry's such like a goofball and whatnot that we don't we don't picture him as like a smart guy but this episode implies (laughs) that like he's very good at money management or at least like passively good to where his wife is like yeah I guess I'll send it to him and not like look for a (laughs) not look for an accountant stateside <laughs> yeah but like even if he's not great at it he's clearly better than his wife at it so i lo- i just think it's so funny that every time henry mentions his wife it seems that it's that she does not know how to balance her own checkbook and it's just very Which, funny <laughs> you know is fair it's hard to do i'm not putting any grief on henry's wife for this this is a this is a difficult task <laughs> i mean i don't think that like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I've never had to balance a checkbook in my life. I think that's like something <laughs> of life in the past. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just like super young. I don't know, but I've never I I don't know how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> One day it'll come for you. you t- you'll turn 40 <sighs> and suddenly you'll be like, "Oh god, checkbook." Ah. <laughs> okay, can we also talk about Klinger's very real and authentic letter from his mother telling him that his dad is supposedly sick. This broke my heart, made me cry. Uh, This poor man has been through so much. His mother's sick, his father's sick, his sister's (laughs) pregnant, his mother's pregnant. Klinger goes through the roughest life imaginable, and mean old Henry Blake won't let him go home. Um, for anyone who's listening, Ethan is obviously kidding. Um... (laughs) So I love this scene so much. So of course, like Klinger gets supposedly this letter from his mother telling him that his father is sick and dying and whatever. And he goes to Henry with it and says like, listen, like, look at this terrible thing that's happening to my family. I need to leave the army. And then Henry's like, hmm, okay. And pulls out this big file of letters (laughs) that Klinger supposedly received from other family members about, like Ethan said, his mother dying, his father dying, his whole family dying, his mother's pregnant, his sister's pregnant, his younger sister's pregnant, his older sister's dying, like all of this funny stuff. And to me, this is like such an iconic mash scene. Like this is something that's seared into to my brain of like how half your family's sick and half your family's pregnant that is one of my all-time favorite mash quotes i love this scene so much between this and the time zone bit uh this is a primo just bit related episode this has just got a lot of good comedy bits in it <laughs> <laughs> and i i just love Klinger's like conviction that He'll try this literally every time there's mail. It doesn't matter. He's just going to keep going <laughs> and keep trying 
And he even said, Henry even asked him, like, oh, do you feel, uh, like, good doing this? And he's like, no. In fact, I'm unfit to serve in the army. (laughs) He's he's a one-track mind through and through. Yeah, he will just literally try anything. It's so great. It's so in character for Klinger. And then... Later on, too, I loved this scene where Klinger was trying again, and he was like, listen, I'm a communist. I'm a red-blooded oh communist. The communist bit? Incredible. I love how Klinger is ready to ruin his life to get out of the army. <laughs> uh, because calling yourself a communist in 1950-whatever, oh that's God. gonna, like, destroy you. <laughs> yeah, he was, like, truly ready to be destroyed just to get out of the army. I loved the bit where... um. I don't like it's hard to explain, but Henry Klinger stumbles while he's delivering this like communist speech and Henry supplies the word Bolshevik to him. And of course, it's supposed to sound like bullshit. And Klinger goes, no, no, honest, like I'm really a communist. And it was just such an amazing like line delivery. It was so good. We now have our explicit rating. Thank you, Vanessa. Well, I did say asshole before too, but you know. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, this was incredible. I was like, I'm a Marxist. I'm a communist. I'm I'm an anti-American, blah, blah, blah. And he like stumbles and says, Henry replies, Bolshevik. And he's like, no, seriously. It's great. That was my favorite line from this episode, but now I have to think of something else I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) This was just such an iconic thing to me. It was just so funny that they were... I was really kind of surprised at this line because it was a little bit like... I don't know. I don't know the exact word for it. It was like a little raunchy almost to like suggest that Klinger thought he said bullshit. It was a little bit of an innuendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was surprised that they like kind of, you know, went there because cursing on TV is still like a very controversial thing, I feel. So I don't know. Like I I liked this. Can't wait for uh, the future when apparently this show drops the first son of a bitch ever said on TV. (gasps) Yes. Oh my God. That's like... I think that's coming soon. Yes, I'm excited. No, we would have had a whole like 15 minute segment about. We talked about Radar's butt for like 10 minutes. (laughs) We would talk about. (laughs) You're right. We would swearing for much longer. We would have talked about that. I thought that that happened already, though. Anyway, regardless of that, uh, that was very funny. I really liked this scene. Mm -hmm. So going from that. Let's talk about Radar's pen pal, because this is another, like, great, just little small bit within the episode, and that's kind of over, because we've kind of already, we've we've talked a lot about this episode, so what do you think of Radar's pen pal bit, how he's, uh, you know, trying to be Hawkeye, but also trying to be Radar at the same time? So I wrote down that Radar was the original catfish, because this (laughs) is so funny, like you said in the beginning, like, you don't know who you were actually writing to. Like, anybody mm-hmm. could have sent any picture. Like, that's honestly kind of creepy. But I do think that it was a really sweet bit where um, Radar, you can, and I know I've talked about this before, but you can tell that Radar is, like, so young in this scene. Like, you kind of forget it sometimes because he's around so many other people, but he is young and impressionable and, you know, doesn't know what to do with himself. And 
I thought it was like a nice reminder and it was also really sweet that he wanted to be honest with his pen pal eventually after sending her Hawkeye's picture and describing himself as like a captain and a surgeon and all this stuff because he could have kept that farce up, but he knew that it was wrong. So mm-hmm. he didn't do it. And I, I, I thought that it was just like a really cute, like sweet way to round out the episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed that for Radar. His ideal man that he wants to be is Hawkeye. Um, it's not something yeah. that like dive into the psychological like nature of it, but Henry is such like his father figure that you would think like he wants to emulate Henry, even when like trying to pick up a girl or whatever. But he like recognizes that like Hawkeye is the ideal kind of dude for him to be. And I, I just mm-hmm. really I just thought that was really sweet and that he like asks Hawkeye of like, oh what what are your feelings? <laughs> because my feelings need to come from someone who looks and acts like you act. Um yeah. and like you said, it really does speak to him being like a young kid and kind of being like lost in the world that like he doesn't have opinions yet like even if he's in the the army and doing these very adult things he doesn't know where he stands like politically about any of it he's just been told to to do it you know which i think is like a really kind of strong message casually thrown in in the middle of this like very kind of goofy comedy episode yeah i think that it's really interesting that you bring that up because i didn't even think about that um that he was trying to like emulate hawkeye in that way i just literally was like oh he needed like a catfish and hawkeye was the one that he chose so yeah so that's really sweet that adds like a layer of depth to it that I didn't think about. So I like that. Yeah, because, you know, Hawkeye is just such like a handsome young man and like a good heart that like if you're presenting yourself to anybody like, yeah, presenting yourself as Hawkeye, probably a good move. But I did like how he kind of on his own was like, OK, I need to be myself. I need to be yeah. the two foot six brown haired little boy that I am or whatever he <laughs> said. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a sweet part of the episode. And honestly, that's about it, too. Like, mm-hmm. we talked about the end where Trapper tried to leave and Hawkeye stopped him. And then they blew up Frank's pioneer aviation scheme. And yeah, that was basically the end of the episode. So yeah. do you have any uh, favorite lines from this episode besides the Bolshevik uh, one, which I kind of stole from you? We talked a lot about various lines and funny bits in this episode. Honestly, I feel like it's pretty well covered. I gotta give a shout out to Alan Alda's directing, though, because he directed this episode, and there's a lot of, like, camera zooms, and I thought that was really interesting from, like, a cinematography way. Like, when uh, Frank sees the letter, it, like, slowly zooms in on, and I thought that was, like, really funny. (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. I also liked the shot where Frank and Margaret are looking into her mirror. That was really interesting, too. I I really liked that. Um, My favorite line in this episode was when Klinger was sitting down with Henry to talk about this letter that his mother wrote him, supposedly, and Klinger says... Klinger is reading the letter to Henry, and he starts... Dear son, and then Henry says, you obviously haven't sent her a recent picture because Klinger is decked out in a very beautiful outfit, by the way. Um, And that was just, that was such a great line for me. Everything about that Henry-Klinger exchange was like pretty great. 
how Henry was like literally giving him nothing the entire time. And we as the audience are like, oh, is, is Henry being like a jerk about this? But no, he's he's been through this rodeo before. Yeah, literally like many, many times before. <laughs> So I don't have trivia necessarily for this episode. There weren't guest stars, really. There wasn't like, you know, any real historical context. So the only thing that I really have trivia about is Pioneer Aviation. I really can't tell if it's like a legitimate thing. It's listed on Bloomberg as a company. But also, I just, the first thing that comes up when you search Pioneer Aviation is MASH. So Mm -hmm. I really don't know. Um, write in to us if you know anything about stocks and if this is real or not. <laughs> Maybe there's some enterprising aviation company out there who just really liked MASH and named their company after this episode because that's something that I would do. If I had, a, if I had like a proper like stock traded company, I'd make it a weird esoteric reference to a TV show. I mean, it says that they were incorporated in 2007, but I don't know. Bloomberg is like... A pretty legitimate source but also like i don't know it, it, maybe maybe it's an lol for all of us mash fans right in if you're familiar if you invest in <laughs> if you invest in uh aviation uh let us know okay ethan so what is your martini rating for this episode honestly five out of five i had a great really good time yeah really? dude this one's super fun like i said this is just an episode about getting the mail And it's so entertaining because, like, these characters are so strong and so, like, well-written that, like, it fully carries it without ever kind of going into, like, major conflict. And I think that's pretty impressive. Five out of five. No complaints. I really enjoyed this one. I'm going to go a little bit lower and give this a four out of five. I really did like this episode. There were some great moments in it, but definitely wasn't, like, a five out of five for me, but... Fair and valid that you mm-hmm. you gave this a five out of five for sure. <laughs> One day we'll have a legitimate like argument over the martini rating. Like, <laughs> and I, I, I can't, can't wait for that. I cannot wait until one of us gives like a zero and one of us gives a five. That's it's I feel like that happen. has to happen. I, it has to be like to. season nine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob for your balco for being our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for our awesome cover art, and, of course, our listeners. Our music, social media, and contact for the show are linked in the description, as always, and join us next week for Season 2, Episode 24, A Smattering of Intelligence. But until then, send us your checkbooks to balance, but actually don't, uh, we're just as bad as Henry's wife. <laughs> Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. <laughs>